Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is Afternoon Pancakes, episode 18. My name is Jared Malat. I'm here with my good friend, Stephen Reed. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. I am uh, starting to recover from uh, illness from this past weekend that knocked me out. I was so knocked out this weekend, I did not watch any college football on Saturday. You poor at thing. All. It was, it was, it was, it actually was pretty nasty. But anyway, uh, how are you doing, man? Hey, I'm... You know, just lucky to be here. Want to shout out all the people that have been listening to Afternoon Pancakes. Last week, we had the most downloads of our podcast ever with 3,000, over 3,000 downloads. Uh, so, of course, appreciate that. If you want to share us, that'd be great. Uh, you can always follow us on social media, Pod Pancake. although we mostly just retweet our podcast announcement from Stampede Blue there uh, because Stephen Reed and I both have our own Facebook accounts. So you can follow Stephen Reed at Nice Reed R E E D Steve, and you can follow me at Likely Alien on Twitter. Uh, if you want to get some uh, up to the moment thoughts of ours, specifically on like game day or or as it, or it refers to the Colts or football in general. Um, and then of course, Colts get a big win at home. Gotta win your home games. Uh, want to start out by saying. Uh, at NFL, I think it's NFL officiating has to get better. The reason it's bad, the reason the officiating in the NFL is bad is all of the really good officials got jobs working for the networks because they pay better. And you're basically got like the replacement officials working these games. Uh, I'm seeing tweets all over the NFL today. Uh, today is the NFL trade deadline. Uh, we're right now, uh, I'm in the Eastern time zone, so I'm looking at 3.45 p.m. There's about 15 minutes left. Uh, well, I guess 14, um, because it's 3.59, right? When it'll be the trade deadline uh, for the NFL. Uh, so that's why I want to start our podcast a little later today, so that we could catch that deadline, see if there's anything that comes off the wire while we're sitting here. Colts get a big win at home in a game that I think, the first thing I thought after that game was how horrible was the officiating. But I also watch a lot of football. And I've been saying that in a lot of games. Uh, and I just told you why that's true. Uh, Jim Tessitore, there's, I mean, there's tons of guys that have, that were great officials that were still, like, should be on the field calling games that aren't anymore. Uh, and they're in some booth somewhere uh, taking a, a phone call here and there during the game, getting paid a lot more. Um, so obviously, if you're able to monetize your profession uh, more than you're getting paid to actually do the job, you should do that. That's called capitalism. Uh, but uh, the reality there is, is that as a result, the viewers are going to suffer uh, through horrifically called football games. 
Uh, I just want to get that out of the way first. Uh, so I'll get, I'll throw that over to you and let you tell me what you think after what you saw. Um, but that was my initial impression of that football game is, wow, this game was horrifically officiated. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty well sums it up for me is um, for me, too. It, it was it was not good. It was not well officiated. It was inconsistent. And that's that's what gets me more than anything when it comes to officiating is, right. look, I hate it if a, if a game is officiated poorly. You know, these guys are paid a lot of money to do it. And if they they keep screwing up over and over again, you got to say, OK, well, what's what's the issue here? Why is it going on? My biggest what I would get most frustrated about is when it is inconsistent officiating, when you feel like one team is getting all the calls and the other team is not getting any calls. And it's not because, you know, for example, one team is just not doing anything like when it's like the Raiders or somebody, okay, you're like, all right, that team's not disciplined or, or like the Texans, they're not really well disciplined. Right. Um, you know, when you have the Colts that are one of the most disciplined teams in the league, mm-hmm. like it, it just felt like they were, Denver was getting calls that, that were ticky tack calls mm-hmm. and the Colts, you really like not calling the, the pass interference on TY and Frank Reich having that challenge that, how obvious was that? Like the guy literally had a hold of his arm, and and the the officials missed it. You know the the call on Danico Autry on that that extra or that field goal attempt, where he got shoved into the center and got called for making contact with the center. And if you go and uh, look at Benatari's first missed field goal, I just put out a a tweet uh, a little bit ago, uh, a series of tweets on it, breaking down Vinatieri's missed field goal and why it might have actually been a really good thing he missed that field goal and pushed it as right as he did. Because if you watch that, Denver ran a super illegal play, but they were super deceptive in it and were able to shield it from the official. Um, At that point, it's the side judge that comes in on that because the umpire and the referee are both behind the line of scrimmage. And so... They used a play where they shielded the side judge's view of the long snapper. And they were able to hold Luke's Rhodes down, um, shielding him with the linebacker that came across the in front of the side judge, held Luke Rhodes down with one of the defensive tackles, used the defensive tackle and Luke Rhodes and the other guy, other Denver player on the other side to help their leaper go over Luke Rhodes. Mm-hmm. The guy lands on Rhodes and then jumps straight down the middle at Vinatieri. If Vinatieri kicks that field goal like, like he would normally kick a field goal, that's blocked in return for seven. Like, And there's not a, a doubt in my mind on that, that yeah. that would have been a block for a touchdown. I, uh, I was listening I always listen to Pat McAfee's podcast the day, specifically on the days that I do my own podcasts, because I don't want to run over the same kind of topics he does, because he's... He's got a two-hour-long show, um, five days a week. Uh, but I was listening to his podcast today, and he said he was talking to Adam Vinatieri, and he said, and you know, Adam, Adam is just like a lot of the Colts in that they're very team-oriented, team-first, never gonna like specifically speak highly of themselves given an opportunity. So that's one of the things I love about. Uh, the Colts is that they're very media friendly, but they're not cocky and they're not arrogant. And those are things that I appreciate. And it makes me want to be the same. Right. Well, Adam and Terry and Pat McAfee are having a conversation. And, and 
and Pat had kind of poked at Adam about things, and Adam was shielding, you know, protect the shield, right? Like, protect the logo. Uh, kind of like, haha, Adam, or haha, Matt, or Pat, fuck. And then Pat McAfee says, and I know on that first kick, they leapt over the snapper, and you tried to draw it around him. So I just wanted to make sure that you knew that they talked about that, and Adam Vinatieri kind of nodded and, and kind of closed his eyes and said, yeah, um, had to kind of get it around the kicker. And I agree with you that if he had just tried to kick it down the middle, it gets blocked, and then we're in a world of hurt, and we're in a worse field position. Um, so that all that said— I had no idea that that, that they talked about that. I don't— yeah. I don't get a lot of time to listen to um to pat's show i wish i would i did i bet it's it's pretty funny but i don't get to, to listen to pat's show every day um so yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't i don't either i i catch clips uh or i'll actually be searching for something and uh the guys that work over there at pmi uh they do a good job of clipping their stuff and getting it up on youtube in segments so you don't actually have to listen to the whole show you can just listen to the fun stuff uh, but specifically on the days we do our podcast, I do try to take the time out to listen to that day's podcast again, because I don't want to run. I don't want to step on their toes. But yes, they had a conversation. Again, Adam was kind of guarding himself where he didn't want to, you know, he, I, I've been trying to explain this amongst our colleagues at Stampede Blue uh, about information warfare uh, and about um, the, the more you give away the more you give the uh, the opponent uh, to chew on. Uh, so uh, people like Adam and Terry that have been in this league for a long time, he's never going to admit <laughs> to Pat McAfee, who gets millions and millions of clicks, uh, that there's a game plan regarding intentionally missing a field goal to avoid a block. They're never going to admit it. A great kicker, a great athlete, a great competitor is never going to give away a trade secret. They're just going to nod and smile and say, oh, Pat. And Pat's Pat, because he isn't playing in the league anymore, he gets to say things like, it's okay, Adam. I'll tell the public for you. So, And then he also pointed out that on the missed extra point that that was an operational error. Okay, And I don't know what that means because I didn't kick and punt in the NFL. Uh, but I have, I have to think it has something to do with like the snap or the hold. Uh, and again, it's got to be snapper hold. It's got to be snapper oh, hold that, with with an operational error. Yeah, with an operational error. Uh, again, Adam Vinatieri just kind of closed his eyes and nodded, as if to say, "I don't want to say anything, but you're right." And I get it. I am reading into body language, but again, that's just kind of how that's what I have to go with. So we've talked about how the officiating was terabad. Obviously, there was some minor glitches in the matrix regarding the automatic Adam Vinatieri. Uh, however, comma, it must be said that when the, it matters the most, when the game is on the line and it's a one-point ball game, the entire purpose of that final drive was just to get Adam Vinatieri another look. And he nailed it. So money, money, money. just cash money when it matters. Money. And speaking of cash money when it matters, how about the connection between no Jacobus idea where you're going with this <laughs> <laughs> by Trojan condoms? Um, so the connection between Jacoby Brissett and T.Y. Hilton. What are you talking about? <laughs> on that on that super important play where. 
Von Miller kind of loops inside and absolutely has Jacoby Brissett dead to rights. Dead to rights. There's no reason Jacoby Brissett should have gotten away from Jacoby Brissett said in in the post-game press conference, he was laughing, but he said, how did you get out of um, Von Miller's grasp? And he laughed and said, because he let me go. (laughs) Like, he let me go. And the guy's like, what do you mean? And he's like, he let me go. So Jacoby Brissett escapes out of the clutches of Von Miller looks downfield and says in his interview, I saw T.Y. Hilton's eyeballs looking at me, and I was like, that's weird. And I just tried to hit him and only him. Throws, for the record, I think that's the first time all season I've seen Jacoby Brissett roll out to his right and throw a ball that wasn't five yards over the receiver's head. So we're lucky. It was a dart, but it was a duck, too. Like It it was not a a tight spiral. Like Um, It was like... And I was like, man, he's got some velocity on that to get that type of ball 35 yards downfield on a pinpoint. This is we've talked we talked about this before. He had a computer screens worth of space there before Chris Harris got there. Yep. And he hit it. Yep. It's like Like, throwing it through a car window going 60 mile an hour. Yeah. I mean, I do that all the time, but yeah, you know, I mean, whatever. Left-handed, cool. right behind your back cool. as you're walking. Oh away. no, 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 no! Come on, I'm not that good. No, <laughs> so it's look, all right-handed. <laughs> Colts are now five and two. Second seed in the AFC, first in their division. Gotta be really excited thinking about how everything lined up in that ball game for the Colts to just lose. That's what it really looked like, right? When you're missing extra points, missing kicks, uh, anemic on offense, all signs point to you dumping that game 13-12, man. And then to come up with a couple big plays, a lot of people have questioned uh, this whole time whether Jacoby Brissett is the long-term answer at quarterback. And I think that he showed me something yesterday that you have to be able to do, and that's creating offense when there isn't any. Seven carries for 30-plus yards, got yards when it mattered, had a couple runs of over 10 yards that got called back on dumb penalties, and then when it matters the most, makes the two biggest plays of the game. Uh, Wanted to point out, though, yesterday, or not yesterday, but Sunday was uh, National Tight Ends Day, and the Colts' tight ends, uh, I think, caught seven of eight targets for over 100 yards between Ebron and Doyle, And and a lot of people were saying Jack Doyle was like the difference in the game. Uh, four catches for 60 yards, a lot of them downfield, but a lot of them like intentionally uh, plays called for Jack and he was wide open. Um, and again, a lot of people are saying like, uh, you can't play this poorly against teams that are this bad. And my answer to that is they are exactly who they we thought they were. Stephen Reed and I sat here last week on this podcast and said, that's an elite defense. That is the best defense the Colts will play all season long, Chris Harris and Von Miller are two of the best at their position in the NFL, and they showed that. For the record, T.Y. Hilton may have made one of the biggest plays of the game, probably one of the best plays of the week, but he had two catches on six targets, and it, that was it. And Von Miller was all over Jacoby Brissett all afternoon. That 
That Denver defense produced 11 hits and four sacks on Jacoby, which is the season high. Uh, but that said, Jacoby's only been sacked 11 times. But I think that's like 24th in the NFL or, or worse. The Colts offensive line had their absolute worst outing yesterday against their best possible opponent. So go figure, right? An unstoppable force meets an immovable object, and there's got to be a little give. And it was on the scoreboard. And the funny thing is, Stephen Reed and I said, Denver's offense is anemic. They're only going to score 13 points. They scored 12. I was going to say, we didn't get the Colts score right, but we nailed the Denver score. Yeah, we definitely we definitely <laughs> said we thought we thought that the Colts would limit they got, Denver They got 13 points. And they that's got exact, I, I think I had, what, points. 24 to 13 yeah, was our so. score? Mm-hmm. And and yours was right at twenty yeah, right about the same. Yeah, it was like twenty eight twenty eight thirteen or something like that. So mm-hmm. but that being said when you when you win games like this, it brings your team that much closer because you realize how important Adam Vinatieri, how important T. Y. Hilton, how important Darius Leonard are when your stability, your rock, your offensive line struggles. Um, So now that said, we've talked about how bad the officiating was. We've talked about Adam Vinatieri's struggles. We've talked about getting this big, big win against the Denver Broncos. We look around the rest of the AFC South for just a moment before we transition into uh, week nine. And we're looking at the rest well, of the AFC South. We, go should ahead, go talk, ahead. we should talk a little bit about the game, though, because like, we, we've talked about the officiating. Yeah. And like for, for the most part, we, we really do want to kind of forget the game um, yeah. because it wasn't great. Um, and it's one of those things where you can – Every, every no unit really excelled uh, in in the game, and there there were some some really big bright spots. I thought Ben Banigou played fantastic, and he mm-hmm. showed that promise that that Chris Ballard really is kind of looking for, and in his pass rusher, what he kind of expected. Uh, Banigou was all over. He had uh, t- I think it was two sa- maybe two sacks that were called back due to penalties, um, probably on Rakiasin, unfortunately, because he had a really Really rough game. Um, but Cortland Sutton's no joke as a wide receiver. People tend to forget that. Um, just because they treated Emmanuel Sanders, he wasn't their top receiver in Denver. It was Cortland Sutton, and it has been all year. Um, and so uh, Rocky Seen had a tough game. Ben Banigou, like I said, had a great game. He's he's getting pressure. He's working really hard with, with Robert Mathis. He's he's working with Brett Yaris. Um, I know, Brett Yaris, I had had spoken with on Twitter a couple times um, and he's one of the trainers for Ben Banigou and they work really hard on trying to make sure that, that he was, that all his moves look the same coming in. And so a tackle can't see him start to raise that right arm and know, Oh, okay. He's going to do a swim here. He's, he starts to come up with the, this, the uh, uppercut with the left. He's like, Oh, okay. So now he's going to do a, do a spin move here and try to push off. Um, and so they're trying to make all his moves look the same. And so far it seems like they, it's really working. It's having 
uh, a pretty solid effect on him um, and, and his game. What what does concern me, um, and again, this is a bad matchup, is that right side of the offensive line, um, and specifically Mark Lewinsky, because on Von Miller's pressure on Jacoby, um, Mark Lewinsky was facing Jacoby Brissett, and it's never good when your offensive lineman is looking at your quarterback, um, because that means he's definitely just missed his block, He's like, oh, shoot, where did that guy go? <laughs> and that's bad. Um, yeah. In case anybody was wondering about that, that's really, really bad. Um, and so on that play, what's supposed to happen is Golinski is supposed to pass off Derek Wolf, um, that, that defensive tackle that is pulling him out, pass him off to Braden Smith. Braden Smith was there to take Wolf, and he was ready for it. And Golinski is supposed to mirror and shadow Von Miller. Um, Glowinski kept his eyes straight on Wolf, did not even keep his head on his soul, no idea that Miller was coming. And that's on Glowinski. And, and so this is week in and week out, it just seems like Glowinski's becoming more and more obvious that he's the weakest link. Now, don't get me wrong, he's the weakest link of a very strong line. And so he's still a really good player. Um, but when he does have these mistakes, it's just all the more obvious. You know, Quentin Nelson didn't have a great game this week, um, which was surprising. He got he got shook a couple times um, by by quick interior defenders um, that were able to just do a quick pass off and pull his arms through, or never let him get a hand on them, and they were able to get into the backfield and, and cause some trouble. And so that's a little concerning. Um, but like you said, this is and like we've talked about before in, in the past podcast. This is the best defense that the Colts are going to face all year. It's the best defense they faced all year. It's going to be the best they're probably going to face all year because uh, Pittsburgh's not as good as Denver. Um, you look at the rest of the schedule, you know, Houston now without J.J. Watt, um, Tennessee. And I don't see anybody that I look at and say, wow, I'm scared of them. Right. Like, they don't play the Patriots. Right. They don't play the 49ers. Those are easily the two best defenses right now. And the Patriots have feasted off of of bad teams, um, bad, poorly coached teams. Um, and, yeah, that was a jab at Cleveland, that last one, Yeah. Um, the poorly coached part, because Cleveland has, again, I'll say it again, they have one of the top five rosters on paper in the NFL. They don't have an O-line, and their coach is terrible. And I said it in – when did I say it? In August? Yeah, so you said it in pre, before the preseason started. Yeah. In yeah. one of our earliest episodes was the week before training camp started, and we talked about like how scary uh, is Cleveland right now. And you were pretty calm about it. You're like, yeah, they're scary on paper, but their coaches tear bad. So what do you really mm-hmm. expect? Like, I, for the record, I expected not only did I expect them to not be terribly competitive, I expected turmoil. I expected them to start, you know, uh, eating themselves, right? And the thing that I have to say, and it just makes me feel better about 
how I felt about a lot of the personalities in the NFL. A lot of these guys are misunderstood. You only know them based on sound bites, and you don't actually know how they are day to day. But everything that I've been reading about the guys like Jarvis Landry and Odo Beckham Jr. are that they're the hardest workers in the room. Fantastic teammates. Fantastic teammates. First ones Mm -hmm. in the building, last ones to leave, helpful to younger players, don't have an attitude problem. And I think, and this is what I think, a great coach could turn that roster into a gold mine. Oh my gosh, in, yeah. In an off season. So I'm calling it like now. It, Freddie Kitchens yeah, is on his way go out. For it. They're gonna get a, they're gonna <laughs> listen, John Dorsey's not gonna put a roster together like that and let Freddie Kitchens burn it down. So mm-hmm. they're gonna get a great head coach in there. And I have a feeling it's Lincoln Riley, uh, is the next kind of guy that gets a shot uh, in the NFL. Um I don't see. Here's the thing with that is, I don't know if they go with another rookie head coach, one that doesn't have any experience in it. I I, I see your point with it because Lincoln Riley's the hot name and he's a brilliant he's young, offensive and he's player. Young, he's, he's an offensive yeah, guy. Like yeah, no, I, I definitely see your point with that. I don't know if Dorsey goes that way again because he just did it with Freddie Kitchens this time. Went with the the young um, first time head coach offensive coordinator you know guy is supposed to be an offensive offensive guy um now i don't think he's not necessarily going to go away from going for an offensive guy i just think that he's going to probably look more towards a retread somebody that he knows and trusts that he can, knows that can lead the roster now i don't know who that is right yeah i was now. gonna say like who is that person but <laughs> I, I don't know who that is right now because i i I right now we colts have the best coach in the league so i'm not even really looking at, at head coaches <laughs> right. Um, or not the best head coach in the league. That's Bill Belichick, and I hate him. But um, Colts have one of the top, you know, five coach, top five head coaches in the league, and I don't yeah. think that's really arguable. Um, but I, I feel like John Dorsey's not gonna not gonna waste it again. I think that that Cleveland's gonna just focus on that offensive line this offseason and say, all right, Mia Culpa, I, I screwed up this past year. I should have done this. I should have focused here. I didn't, and so I'm going to make it up here, and I'm going to go through, and I'm going to to fix this offensive line, give Baker Mayfield a chance, um, and then I'm going to hire a coach that knows what he's doing. He might try to fix the offensive line and give Kitchens another shot. I think that's a mistake because you don't – like, he just is a bad – he's like the Chuck Pagano of offensive coaches. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, the players love him. This is great. And it's like, okay, that's that's cool. I'm glad the players love him, but uh, it, is he winning games? You know, Chuck right. Pagano at least won games. You know, and, and for the for the record, Cleveland faces one of the easiest schedules in the back back eight games of their season, the back half of their season. So yeah. they might turn it around. Um, you know, their last eight or nine games is it should be pretty easy. So we'll see. They still have a chance to to spoil your bet. Um, and knock off the Baltimore Ravens in the division and uh, go to the playoffs. Um, for anybody that doesn't know, Jared has a season-long bet for the Colts and the Ravens to win their division. Um, so that's where I am poking fun at him about the bet. I actually want Jared to win as much money as he can, so I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> hey, I'm trying to but, start a business. you got to take your yeah. swings and you can take your <laughs> swings, right? Like, but yeah, so you know, looking back to the Colts, Colts game, um, the 
it was nice to see Malik Hooker back. You notice that Flacco's in Baltimore. He was kind of known to throw the ball up downfield and get past interference calls. Yep. Oddly enough, that's kind of what he did. That's how they moved the ball this week. That's weird, isn't it? Go get go um, Try to get the ball in play against a rookie corner and make him make mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, um, five penalties. I mean, yeah, Rocky Austin yeah. had five penalties yeah. uh, and, Sunday. And so, but you notice that they didn't throw the ball anywhere near Malik Hooker. Nope. So they're, you know, he in his first game back and teams clearly respect the heck out of him. Yep. Um, you know, and it's it's one of those things where I was I felt pretty good. Uh, the game was ugly, but sometimes you have to win ugly games. Absolutely. And as long as you win, that's all that really matters. You, you won and you didn't come out with any bad injuries. So there's not a whole lot more. Yeah, of course, you're like, oh, well, I would have liked to score more points. I would have liked to be prettier. No, I, I personally would like to win the lottery, but sometimes those things don't happen. I still lead a pretty good life. <laughs> and so, hey, for the record, that's everybody. Like most of the time yeah. you don't win the lottery and life still happens. Yeah. So, like it's still it's you got to okay. win the ugly ones. That's yeah. that's that's this game in a nutshell is great teams win ugly football games. Mm-hmm. Great coaches find a way to win when it isn't it isn't pretty and it isn't That's the be- next hat. Maybe we can talk to Quentin Nelson, Jacoby Reset. Great teams win ugly. Yeah. Got to you got to win ugly too cuz if you look at the week prior, right? Jacoby Brissett set the house on fire through over 300 yards, four touchdowns. It's this thing. And then the next week at home, like it was watching, it was like watching two grown men fight over a vice grip. Like there, nothing is moving. It's a weird you know analogy. I mean? Right. No, think about like two men fighting over the handle of a vice grip. Like okay. you're just trying to hold it. It's not going anywhere. And then there's a little give either way, little give either way until somebody just gets tired. Right. And that's really, really how Chris Harris made sure that T.Y. Hilton was irrelevant until there was two minutes left in the game and T.Y. Hilton did T.Y. things. And that's why we're sitting here with a with a party hangover saying, I can't believe we won that ugly football game instead of saying, wow, I would love to have a guy like Chris Harris on my team or a guy like Von Miller on my team because they crushed us. They made our offensive line look bad. Um, But that's the thing. Uh, Frank Reich said it, Jacoby said it, Vic Fangio knows how to coach a defense. And so hats off to the Denver Broncos, specifically that defense. I thought that the Colts did admirably defensively themselves. Uh, while Philip Lindsay and, uh, Royce Freeman did get, uh, equal share in the backfield. I feel like the Colts really stuffed Freeman and Lindsey did have some plays uh, that he made, but you look at back at the numbers and you're like, oh, wow, he had 12 carries for 40 yards. So I guess he didn't really do much. Uh, you know, and then, of course, offensively, the bright spots for the Colts, like I already said, were the tight ends caught like seven passes for almost 100 yards um, and were used to move the sticks. And Marlon Mack, for the record, did did have a nice, pretty decent touchdown run. Uh, did have well, he like, didn't get touched on that. Yeah, like, he didn't he get such a right clear running lane. It was mm-hmm. yeah, it was pretty sick. 
And that's one of the things about a lot of people are like, why do they keep doing that? Why do they keep running the ball? Why do they keep running the ball? Um, when you wear your opponent out, big boys get tired first. And oh, my gosh. The, pe- yeah, people don't understand how the guys that get gassed is are the defensive linemen and the defensive ends. Yeah. Those are the guys who get gassed the fastest because, for one, they are ginormous people. Like, they are running. They're, they're almost all at least 250 to 300 pounds, sometimes up to 330. Mm-hmm. And if you're running them every single play and they're going against other guys that are at least 300 pounds, it is hard Yeah. in there. Yeah. And so shout out to the – to those offensive linemen, if you're a young person and you're playing football and you're like, man, I don't like playing offensive line or defensive line because they don't say my name often enough. If you're good, they will. And uh, like I said, days like Sunday happen. Every now and then, an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. And that's why that game was... Of a snoozer every week here on afternoon pancakes. Yeah, and then and then then a lot of people are gonna say uh, games like this show why Jacoby Brissett is a replacement level quarterback, and I just want to point out that outside of the fumble, Jacoby was pretty mistake free against an elite defense. 15 for 25, 10 for 16 for 123 yards in the first half. He outplayed of more veteran Joe Flacco, who was playing against a weaker secondary, um, and managed to keep keep the game winnable without without Ty putting up his usual six, seven, eight catch for 100 plus and a touch. He still found a way to put the Colts in a position to win the game. And that's all that they really care about. When it when they look back on your career, nobody will care about your touchdown interception ratio. They will care about your win-loss record. And as a quarterback, that's the last thing on your mind when it how good are you at this game? Wins is not a good measurement of success for a quarterback. But what I've loved QB wins is my least favorite argument for people when they bring up trying to like judge how good a quarterback is. Yeah, because football is a team game. There are 22 starters on a team, not counting special teamers, uh, of course. But the Colts have shown time and time again that it is not a team of a bunch of individuals that this is a team that actually is a lot like a family. This is a team that doesn't have a problem sharing the shine, right? I, one of the things I love to see is when the Colts get a big win and they're in the locker room and they give out two game balls, one to Adam Vinatieri and one to Jacoby Brissett and those steady hands Right. That's that's that, you know, a lot of people are going to sling around terms about Jacoby, right? Like he's a game manager. He's Alex Smith 2.0. He's a steady hand. Right. Unwavering. Any any game is winnable. Any drive can any drive magic can happen. Um, but one of the things I did want to talk about while we're still talking about last week. 
if you know if we're not going to complain about the officiating or adamantary aging, uh, is the Colts penchant for just dive, 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 punt in the third quarter of football games in a tight football game. You get a nine-yard carry out of Hines, uh, then run it into the back of the offensive line for no gain, no gain. Uh, have to go for it on fourth down, right? Like that—that that was literally the opening of a drive of theirs. Was Hines up the middle for nine, followed by two n- carries for Hines for no gain, followed by like we have to go for this because we're on their side of the field and get it. Um, I don't know. One of the things I was going to ask you, Stephen Reed, and. And I've now seen the game in all 22, and I've watched the the condensed version of the broadcast. Where is the screen game? Where's where's the draw? Like that's one of the things I've noted. Uh, I've, I've I opened up this podcast by using a term that you don't normally hear: information warfare. But that's what I'm kind of starting to think about. The more resources you have to expend to win a game equals more information you give to future opponents. So that coupling that with where's the screen game, where's the, where's the draw? Right? These are these are the screen and this the draw. This is a really good question. Right? Like in because... my eyes it's like look, I think a lot of people have said so far Jacoby Brissett is limited and I have argued that they're intentionally limiting him on offense because it keeps teams from game planning when you're just seeing like our base offense and this was in one of those weeks where i was like man the offense feels intentionally limited where they are really shortening not shortening compressing the playbook and only going to do this because we only need to do this to win right and then going back and watching the game a couple times i'm like Where's the wide receiver screen? Where's the fly sweep? Where's the yeah, draw? Yeah, like, you think about it, like, Paris Campbell, this was his first team back, but he only played, what, like, eight snaps? Eight snaps. Something that like that. It. And so that's a guy that, like, even just getting him some touches, you would think that maybe they might do, like, a little bubble screen or, a, mm-hmm. like you said, a jet sweep, something like that. So that's, really, that's a really good point because you would think that with, now, now I get why maybe you don't do the draw just because you go back like you're going to get a pass and then, and then hand it off. And maybe I, I don't know that it's such a like that would make a lot of sense to, to put that play in. Yeah, would be, um, it would be something should be something that's in your repertoire. But at the same time, I don't time, remember seeing them do it very often. That's what I'm saying, though. And and I'm not even saying like we did it when Andrew Luck was here, because that's that's not even the thing. It's not. Uh, yeah, it's not relevant right now. That's not relevant. But what I'm saying is it's absent when you go back and watch film and you're like, they didn't even act like they were going to do it. So now and, you know, hindsight's 2020. Right. And now that we're, you know, 30 minutes into a conversation, the brain starts working. Where I'm like, hey, oh, oh, this is information warfare. So when you're playing against a, a, what I would call a poopy squad, right, a, a two and six uh, Denver Broncos team uh, that outside of like Chris Harris, Von Miller and the two running backs and maybe maybe Sutton and maybe no offense of what I name like six people like that's not a great team. You intentionally limit your offense no. because then it prevents – because I think, you know, when you look ahead and you look at the Steelers, like, 
Mike Tomlin is probably outside of Sean Payton, maybe the best coach the the Colts will see this entire regular season. And there's no sense in giving up your yeah, playbook. Yeah, for the remainder of the regular season. You're probably looking at, yeah, probably like Sean Payton or Ron Rivera. That's about it. Yeah. I mean, and one could talk about the Tampa game and Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians. Like I was going to say, I was like, part of my heart wants to say Bruce Arians. Right. <laughs> the heart wants what the heart wants. But the reality is, like, in terms of uh, team wins, which is what determines how good of a coach you are, um, Sean Payton... Uh, Mike Tomlin, who, who's our, our our week nine opponent uh, in the Steelers, uh, he's probably really good at using information to his advantage because that's kind of part of the gig. Um, so in raising a point, it furthers my future point by saying that's how you beat teams like the Patriots. If you want to beat them, You've got you've got to be able to befuddle well, them. You've got you've got to be able to and push them on think the about this. Foot. When you think about this, this this is a really good point. Like I said, it takes us about thirty minutes, and then the con- brains really get flowing. Um, yeah. The Colts' offensive line had said that Denver were giving them looks that they hadn't seen before. Yeah. Leading up to that, so Vic Fangio in the previous six weeks of the season, six seven weeks of the season never showed some of those looks that Denver gave the Colts offensive line. And that's obviously by design because the Colts offensive line is so good that if you've given them a look uh, on film, they can game plan for it and they'll be able to take care of it. And so that might be part of the reason why teams are able to focus so hard on, on Glowinski and, and Braden Smith on that right side and, and why Quentin Nelson was fooled for the first time. And, and as long as I can remember, um, no, I, I take that back. I can remember a lot of things from a long time ago. But for, like, the first time, first real obvious time this season, Quentin Nelson has been, Quentin Nelson has been on his knee and the defender's going by him. And you're like, wow, what happened there? Where did he go? It might be for the exact same reason that you were talking about, but in reverse, is, you know, defenses are now not showing the Colts, not putting on film, all of their blitz packages or, or what they want to do against the Colts, because if they do, you know, the Colts are going to see it and they're going to know, okay, well, Hey, if they line up in this personnel with this guy making this motion here, there's a high, high likelihood that they're going to be bringing this twist or this stunt and bringing this extra blitzer coming around the backside. And so that's a really good point that the Colts might be, you know, holding back a little bit on offense to try to, uh, you save know, it for the playoffs. Save it. Save it for. Save it for the. Yeah, because at this point, you know the Colts, they shouldn't probably lose for the next handful of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so they should probably. They could. The Colts seriously could lock up a playoff berth coming up by you know after Thanksgiving, the week after Thanksgiving, the Titans game. Yeah. You know, because they'll be. A- yeah, because they're going to be five, five and. Five and two right now. You've got five games, and uh, it's four games in November, and that, that game is on December first. I thought about coming out to that game, but the tickets back in Jan- in September were eight hundred dollars round trip. Oh wow! Zero zero chance for that because it's the week after Thanksgiving. Right. So big, big no chance week. coming back. But yeah, yeah, but huge travel week. But 
the Colts realistically could, by December 1st, pretty much have the division sewn up because that's the last game on the three games in the division. Okay. And so they would have, they would only have the seven, the eighth, the 15th, the 22nd, and the 29th left in the season. They had four games left in the season. They sweep the division. They drop back another two games on Houston. I mean, they couldn't have the division locked up by then. But so why would they give anything more out to New England? Because let's be real, that's the team. Yep. Than what they're willing to. And it's in the Colts did this on defense leading into Kansas City. And Kansas City said we hadn't seen them play man. Nobody had seen them play man that much. Yeah. And, and a lot of, I mean, that started for the record when they drafted Rocky Asin, right? Because we had that mm-hmm. conversation in Slack where people were like, why would you take a great man cover corner mm-hmm. with that pick? And remember us saying, like, remember what Kansas City did to the Colts in the playoffs? They lined up in man, and it was like, what? And it was impossible to pass to them because we hadn't been practicing against it. We've been preparing mm-hmm. for a zone scheme with a heavy pass rush, right? Just trying to limit big plays, similar to what the Colts are typically playing. And then, like I said, uh, I was listening to Pat McAfee podcast today, and he had Kyle Van Noy on the podcast, right? BYU grad, real smart kid, plays uh, uh, weak side. New England, isn't he? Yeah, he plays weak side linebacker for New England, and he was talking about how big-brained uh, Bill Belichick is, and how much energy he still has, and how they're still doing the little things and thinking about, hey, if the quarterback stomps his right foot and and snaps his right hand, it's a pass. And if he rubs the top of his helmet with his right hand and then r- pats his left shoulder with there his right certain, hand, it's a run. Certain things are, are dead giveaways. And yeah. if you know what you're looking for, like you could you can predict almost spot on like 75, yeah. 80, 90 percent of the time yeah. what a team is going to do. If, if somebody's got it's like a poker tell. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it, a, it's it, a information you, warfare, man. Like the. The more open your playbook, the more you have to give away to win a game. You know, you, you show them this unique blitz. You show them this unique offensive set that you line up in where they're like, wait a minute. They have an empty backfield, two tight ends, and then a wide receiver, but they're close. Like, what is that formation? Like, when you give away that information, you're giving future teams something else to they have to talk about. Uh, and the let and you know that's what I would kind of look for moving forward when we go when we I think we have people that chart plays uh, for the for uh, Stampy Blue is looking at did we see anything in this game that was unique that we didn't see in prior weeks and in my eyes uh, trying to be as discerning as I can and and watch the games as closely as I can I'm trying to think did I see anything unique. That answer to me is no, except that of uh, 15 completions, seven went to tight ends, and I want to say 12 of 15 completions were to non-wide receivers, because I'm trying to think of receivers that made catches. T.Y. had two, I think Pascal had one, and he had 15 completions. Yeah, so... 80% of Jacoby Brissett's completions came went to tight ends and running backs uh, in a very, again, tight, tightly contested football game. But now that we've talked up the Denver defense, it's kind of time to start talking to Colts defense because 
pretty much in back-to-back weeks, the Colts have stood up on defense when it when it matters. Uh, and going into you know week nine, Colts travel play in Pittsburgh against again uh, one of one of the uh, lesser offenses in the NFL. Uh, right now we're under, I understand, as I understand it, uh, James Conner, the Steelers running back is being evaluated for an AC joint injury, uh, which was my initial injury when I, uh, got hurt in the Marine Corps, um, which could keep him out of practice most of the week. He could still play on Sunday, but then I also saw Jalen Samuels, who's like the other, the, the number two running back in Pittsburgh is also being evaluated for a concussion although he's supposed to play already on Sunday. Um, but outside of that, you know, we I just got to watch Pittsburgh play last night. I don't know if you watched Monday Night Football. They The Steelers started out v- poorly. Um, Mason Rudolph started out the game 4-for-10 uh, and had thrown a couple interceptions in the first half uh, to Minka Fitzpatrick. No, Mika Fitzpatrick had a couple interceptions. Yeah, he plays for the Steelers from, now, but he used to play yeah. for the Dolphins. Um, but yeah, yeah, like uh, at the time, like Mason Rudolph, like the Steelers were doing nothing, and mm-hmm. the Dolphins were like blowing it up. They were up like fourteen to zero, right? Oh yeah. oh yeah. And then somebody, I think, from the Dolphins front office, like signaled down to them and said, "Hey guys, stop winning." Yeah, we need what that are, number one overall. What pick. are you doing? If you if you win, we don't get the number one pick, and we get another top five pick. But if if you lose, right. then then we get the number one pick, and probably a top five pick. Right, and because, so like, and that's where the game turned around, right? I'm t- you know I know we're joking, but Miami was up fourteen to nothing, and it looked like they they really me, came to play. Let me break this down for you. So Miami's up fourteen to nothing. Yeah. And then that was the end of the first quarter. Came to play. Pittsburgh got a field goal. And then they got that interception. Then yeah. Miami threw an interception. Um that was like a but probably a tough uh, I think it got batted. That that was Minka Fitzpatrick's first interception. And then Pittsburgh scored that touchdown with when, this is when they did the, uh, with like 20 seconds left, there was a, a pass interference call or something like that that got, um, they tried to get a pass interference call or something. I don't remember what it was. Uh, the, oh, they got called for offensive pass interference. Yeah. Um, Pittsburgh did. And they, they uh, referees took a look at it upstairs and then they ran a couple more plays and on like second, third and 20, Miami did a zero blitz, what looked to be a, a like a prevent defense shell over top. And for those of you that that don't know football, a zero blitz is when you send everybody. Right. Like you are man up on the on the receipt on every receiver that there is possible, and it's you're supposed to be in more of a press man situation. Maybe you give them a five yard cushion. Um, these guys were 10 to 15 yards back off the receivers in this, and they sent everybody. They had nobody covering the cross, the crossing route that went to Deontay Johnson. And he caught it like 10 yards downfield, looked around, and there's nobody within like 20 yards of him. 
and Xavion Howard, I think, was the guy that was supposed to be covering him, that he didn't even he didn't even start to go with him until the guy was already five yards in the other direction. So they take off and Xavier Howard just stops running. Like he just kind of jogs until he realizes, Oh, this guy might score. And then he like takes a couple more bigger strides and then hits him as he's going to the end zone to make it look like he actually tried hard. And I was like, Oh, that's really tough. And then Miami's next, next, uh, four possessions, you want to you want me to tell you how many punts there were? Four? Oh no no no. No, the second half there were zero punts because Miami threw an interception, had a turnover and downs, had two fumbles, had a turnover on downs and then the game ended. Oh wow. No punts for Miami <laughs> in the second <laughs> oh, half. Oh wow. So, yeah, sure. Go ahead, tell me. He totally they weren't taking in this game at all. That's Oh right. They, they definitely weren't taking yeah. even though they, they and like I get it. They they probably weren't tanking, but at the same time, it looks really bad when you're really dominant to start the game, and then all of a sudden you start throwing picks and turning the ball over on downs and like fumbles. You never want to see fumbles, but you know it, it just kind of you know it happens. But at the same time, you're like, eh, there's some smoke over here that you guys might be might be just playing this down. Um, to get that number one pick and you realize oh shoot what are we doing we can't win this game because it really hurts us sorry yeah, I, I mean totally no, ran off with that right no there, no no but. it's it's ex- i mean it's 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 one of those things it's just like you you kind of started to say there where there's smoke there's fire so anytime that you're watching a game and you're like man this isn't going how i thought it was and then that was just the first quarter and then the remainder of the game is a dumpster fire for the team that was way ahead to start Miami. You have to really begin to wonder how valuable is that number one overall pick to them? Uh, my my thoughts were, and I asked the Slack chat, like, hey, did I read that right? Like, if Miami loses this game, they have the second top five pick. Or if Miami wins this game, they get a second top five pick, but they lose the number one overall. And I was, you know, sitting there thinking, like, if I'm a team owner and my team is absolute garbo. Do I want two top five picks? Like, do I trust myself to make the right decision twice? If one of those picks is not chase young, I'm, I'm losing my job. Um, but yeah, it does kind of make me shake my head. Like the tank is legit. I think the, for the record, I, I think that, uh, teams unabashedly tank in like every sport. So I don't, I don't care if if you're not supposed to say it like oh it's bad for sports. I don't care. Like fortunately none of the teams that I cheer for tank. Uh we we don't we don't have to do that. We try we create a winning culture. Uh you try to win every game, trying to win every year, trying to win Super Bowl every year. Um cuz that's what the best and the best do is they're trying to uh climb that mountain, right? 1 and 0 every week, get better every day. All those things they're not saying like yeah, we want to seek self-improvement, but we're going to go out and try to lose games intentionally because it helps the team in the future uh, by acquiring a bunch of draft stocks so that we can put some fresh bodies on this squad because we're terrible, right? Um, so, yeah, the Colts get the Steelers here in Week 9 on the road in a hostile environment. Obviously, uh, with the way the game was officiated at home, my brain was just like, you know, 
The Steelers are better than their record, currently three and four. Uh, their four losses, though, might be the best four losses in the NFL outside of getting trounced by the Pats 33-3 in week one. Uh, but they have losses uh, to the Patriots, 49ers, Seahawks, and Ravens in overtime. Uh, so, again, just uh, heed my warning, Colts fans. Um much like last week where I was like, hey, I expect the Colts will win. The Denver defense is elite. It could limit our output. The Steeler defense, not as good as the Denver defense. Not as dominant. Very turnover reliant. So when when I say things, this is because I did the research, kids. Um, the Pittsburgh defense generates a lot of pressure. They do not. Uh, generate a lot of sacks, but they do pressure the quarterback about, I think, 23% of the time, which puts them in the top 10. Uh, and they have like 10 interceptions. Uh, so they play well uh, and they are coached well. Like I've already said, like Mike Tomlin's probably one of the best coaches the Colts will play against this year. So, in terms of coaching minds, that further fuels that why does the Colts offense appear so limited? Theory. Uh, and le- leads me towards saying things like, of course I think the Colts will win. This would absolutely be a game I could see the Colts losing. However, comma, having just said that, the reasons that the Colts will win is are that that offensive line is not going to have games like they did this past week more than once a year um last year and this year when the colts offensive line when that offensive five plays together costanzo nelson kelly Golinski, and smith uh they're dominant they had a bad week last week i don't see them doing that two weeks in a row the steelers do employ a watt uh so there's a watt boy uh, playing defense uh, for the Steelers. I think the Colts will win this game, but I think it's a another close football game. I'm talking like 21-20. Um, and that's not, it's not because I think even the Pittsburgh offense is better than the Denver offense, but they are. The Pittsburgh offense is better, um, but their defense isn't as stout. Um so what do you think? So my thoughts on this are they're kind of similar to yours in that I could see this going kind of both ways. Yep. Um, you know, I, I personally, I think that it's probably going to be a win. And I, I think that the Colts will probably win by, you know, seven okay. in this game. But my, my whole point is that this, to me, is probably going to be entirely determinative of how healthy is James Conner right. for this game. Because if James Conner is not healthy, their only healthy running back on the roster right now is, like, their fourth string guy. Yep. So I'm not even sure that he is, like, I mean, he's obviously enough for running back because he's not on the roster. It's like Trey Higgins or something like that. Yep. Maybe I got the name right. That is a wild guess on my part on the name. <laughs> so hopefully I got that name right. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't see 
the offense being the same without him. Now, the emergence of DeAndre uh, Johnson uh, to pair opposite of uh, Juju Smith-Huster is huge for them. And it's one of those things where you kind of expect Pittsburgh to draft well at wide receiver because right. that's kind of what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where I sit there and go, okay, well, they might actually have a legitimate option outside of Juju Smith-Huster at mm-hmm. the wide receiver spot. James I still Washington, think, yeah. Yeah, no, not James Washington. Um, Deontay, Deontay Johnson. Okay. Um, I, I don't... I don't think James Washington is is the answer opposite of um, opposite of Juju, Juju Smith-Schuster mm-hmm. at all. I think that he, he's maybe a wide receiver three at that. Um, but Deontay Johnson um, is is the guy that I think is probably the better the better option there for them. I'm gonna make sure I get his name right. Um, yeah, Deontay Johnson. Yeah, absolutely. He's yeah, got 38 Deontay targets, Johnson. 25 receptions, catches about 68.5% of his passes. and mm-hmm. yeah. Last time yeah. he had five catches for 84, 84 yards and a touchdown um, on seven targets. So he's even he's the second targeted guy, too. Um, but, yeah, so it, it really just depends on, to me, like if their running back's healthy. Because if their running back's not healthy, like you're probably going to see the Colts blitz quite a bit. Mm-hmm. because you don't have that that scare of a draw play or that running back screen or anything like that where you're really worried about a running back getting out. Mm-hmm. Um, their defense, I, I'm just meh on their defense. I know that you tell me that the, that their defense is supposedly really, really good. I think they're, they're definitely a different defense with Minka Fitzpatrick back there. Yeah. Um, and so he's starting to come into his own. Obviously, he had two interceptions against Miami. It might be familiarity with the Dolphins. Um, and, and having practiced against that offensive scheme for so long. So mm-hmm. he knows kind of what they're, what they're doing, what they're up to. Um, you know, but I, there's, there's not anybody on the defense that I think can stop T.Y. Hilton. And I don't see this defense being like a huge run-stopping defense. And I think that the Colts can effectively neutralize T.J. Watt um, in the run game and just mm-hmm. run at him. Because he's not J.J. Watt. He's, no, 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 he's, no, 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 no. He's an outside linebacker, and he is he's faster than J.J. Watt. He's not as strong. He's not as good against the run. He's a better – no, he's not a better pass rusher. He's a lesser version of J.J. Watt in every single aspect. Um, but he's still a really good player. I think yeah. that you can neutralize him kind of the same way that teams used to neutralize like Robert Mathis and Dwight Freeney. Absolutely. Is that you run at them. And you take them out of their game, you wear them down. Mm-hmm. Um, no, and I, I think that the Colts are going to – they could because the Colts always seem to have a difficult time in Pittsburgh. But yep. I still, for whatever reason, think that this is a game that the Colts should win. Um, I'd probably, you know, if I were going to put a, a number on the score, I'm probably looking at like 24 – 17 you know maybe go 23 17 and just assume that there's a missed extra point yeah um and there no that's bad no bad juju no i don't do that um so no like that's kind of where i'm at is i'm like at 24 17 is probably a a score that i I feel comfortable with because i just don't see pittsburgh being able to score as much against the colts defense especially if pierre desir comes back healthy 
this week, mm-hmm. and he can line up against Juju. Um, you know, the other corners can play underneath. And now, now we know what the roster is going to be because the trade deadline has now passed, and the Colts made no moves, which is shocking to nobody. Right. Um, because that's what we all tried to tell everyone. Right. <laughs> They're probably not going to make a move. They're definitely not going to trade away a draft pick for a player because Chris Ballard likes them picks. And that's what he said, and that's what he's stuck to. Um, and so we'll probably see Quincy Wilson you know, be back in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it'll just be just be a different different team. They're the same team, but you know the good part is they're they're relatively healthy and and they're moving forward. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah. So one of the things I do want to say, um, in terms of uh, last week, there were a lot of people messaging me like, "Oh my gosh, what's wrong? Pierre Desir, Quincy Wilson, these guys aren't playing." Um, again, just like I've been saying, like information is power, and I think with the trade of Emmanuel Sanders was it right going into the game it put more of the impetus on the yeah, Colts defense to stop the, the game to stop the run and as a result Joe Flacco like that's right. who you're going against so you automatically assume that you're going to stop the run because as much as you know Joe Flacco fans will tell you he is not elite like no, no, no. he's just not an elite quarterback and he never has been um and so, yeah, so your impetus is to stop the run at that point. And then we, we also said that, like, Joe Flacco has a, is known for sh- throwing the ball down the field uh, and having a big arm. And that, that isn't on your cornerbacks. Now that's on your safeties. So I think if I'm the Colts head coach, I can tell a guy like Pierre Desir, like, take the week off. We're going to give Rock Yassin, uh a lot of looks against another rookie wide receiver, right? A, a Cortland Sutton, right? And then what that lets you do is focus your energy and your plays on giving those rookies lots and lots of looks and playing time. And that brings me to the point like, hey, look at Ben Banigou. Look how effective he's been with his limited use. Obviously, Rocky Hassan had a rough week. But we've been talking up Cardi Willis. We've been saying, like, hey, these these rookies have been stepping up, stepping in, and making plays uh, defensively. And then one of the things I, I want to say, because I did just say, like, hey, this is a game I could see the Colts losing. But here's why the Colts win. The data says that in terms of third down conversions against, the Steelers are in the bottom quarter of the league. And if there's a team, and one of the strengths of the Colts' offense uh, is that they they put themselves in favorable third-down positions, which is anything less than third and seven, meaning like third and six, five, four. So the the short, the closer you are to the change, the higher percentage you are to convert on third down. And Pittsburgh is bad there. That that's what the data tells me. And then also. If I go to scoring defense or drive averages against, the Colts are one. And and again, it's like one of them things where people will point at the Colts' offense and say, Jacoby Reset is severely limiting the Colts' offensive efficiency. And I get to look at the numbers league-wide and say, au contraire, the Colts are like third in the league uh, as an offensive or in offensive efficiency. They are one of the top teams in the league 
uh, in category after category, but I'm starting to piece it together myself on what are important statistics, like what, what are relevant statistics. The Broncos are fifth in the league in drive averages against giving up one and a half points a drive. The Steelers are 12th, giving up 1.81 points. So this means the Colts' proclivity to score on offensive drive is higher against the Steelers than it was against the Broncos. So that's why I said it's more likely that they score 20 or more points because the data says you aren't doing that against Denver's elite defense. And then while I said in many categories the Steelers' defense is actually pretty good, they're not the Denver Broncos' defense. And then similarly, just to further what Steven said, hey, they're banged up at running back. And the Colts, if they've got a strength that hasn't fully uh, developed or fully shown itself to be like, you know, a lion among a herd of lambs, right, is that secondary. Because uh, one of the things that we can look at paper and tell you is I'm trying to think of a game this year when the secondary is, oh, it was the game in Arrowhead where the secondary was healthy where they were able to do whatever they wanted to do on defense and really kind of limit you. Uh, this is a game where, in in my humble opinion, if the Steelers do have a strength, it's at wide receiver, right? Like, I like James Conner, but he was hurt. And Jalen Samuels, decent running back, also in concussion protocol. So it's just like you said, if you're able to stymie uh, Conner, let's just say he gets hit early and he's out early, then you know you're up against the the pass threat primarily from the Steelers. That makes it easier to play against. Um, and similarly, uh, one of the things I also noted about the Steelers offensively is that in the four games that Mason Rudolph's played, he's two and two. He hasn't been sacked very much, uh, hasn't thrown a bunch of touchdowns, has thrown some interceptions. So they've got a little bit of a a higher a higher odds of a turnover. So I would look for the Colts to get a turnover on defense. Uh, and again, the Steeler defense is one of the better teams in the league at creating turnovers on defense. And it's a road game. And, the, and again, the, everybody, I think, struggles to play on the road. Lots of teams are going to struggle to play in Heinz Field, in Pittsburgh. That is a great crowd. One of the best places to watch a football, in the United, football game in the United States. And for the record, I was just thinking about that. How, if you're a Colts fan and you travel to watch the Colts play, how about getting to go to Arrowhead, Heinz Field, and uh, what is it, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in New Orleans? Oh, yeah, down in, in New Orleans. In the same season? Like, those are three of the greatest places to play football, I think, outside and of the oil. And the New Orleans game is a Monday night game. So like, and it's a Monday night game. So like, that's I said, even crazier. And obviously, we could talk about Houston, but that's the stadium that Ty owns. So that's like another home game. But yeah, the Arrowhead, Heinz Field, and Mercedes-Benz Stadium all in one season. If you're a traveling Colts fan, how lucky are you? Because those are awesome places to take in a football game. Um, but yeah, like I said, looking at the data, I have to be really careful because I'm not one. I don't. Like I said, I, I've said things recently like we're homers, man. I'm I'm a Colts fan, like diehard, but I'm also a football fan. Um, if there were a game the remainder of the season outside of that Monday night game at the Saints, that road game at Houston, and this game tomorrow, this game this week, um, you got to pick a game they're going to win. Got to figure there's a game in there you're going to lose, right? Because the odds of uh, the odds of a team winning. Uh, 
double-digit games in a row, two years in a row, that are not New England Patriots, it's got to be, like, real low. <laughs> the odds that that happens twice, because, you know, you remember the Colts were, like, 10-0 and 0 to close the season uh, last year. And then, yeah, if you've got... Yeah, I'm trying to do math in my head. You got like nine games left in the schedule. You're five and two at this point. You're you're gonna drop a game in there. I think I think personally, outdoors, on the road, weather could be an issue. Uh, yeah, if I were a betting man, I'd just take the Colts to win and hope I'm right, knowing that hey, this this podcast guy, this this guy that says he watches a lot of the Colts, said hey man, this could be a game the Colts drop. Primarily because of factors that you can't control. Um, but also, here's why we could win. Because, you know, what if they don't have any running backs? <laughs> right? Like, what if they're just limited offensively and their defense isn't nearly as good as, as Denver's was? Point taken. Um, so, yeah, I'm certainly excited. You know, uh, you look around the rest of the AFC South. Um, one of the things I do like when I, when I look at my team i look at my division i look at my conference one of the things that makes me happy is seeing that even even though we can acknowledge you know these teams aren't great the colts uh, the afc south is the only division in the nfl where all four teams in our division are 500 or better did you know that i actually did know that yeah, we're the, we're, we're Tennessee the and, and and Jacksonville won this past week. They are yep. all, they are both four and four, and then Houston uh, is what five and three. Yep, Colts are five and two, Texans five and three, and the Jags and Titans are four and four. No other division in the NFL has all four teams five hundred or better. Um, and I get it. That's kind of, again we talked about how like w- wins aren't necessarily fantastic. Uh, strength of schedule is not necessarily factored there. Um, but one of the things that's been said about, you know, it's, it's going to get said about the New England Patriots. It'll always get said about them. It'll get said about the Colts. Oh, those two teams have basically owned their division for the last 20 years. And that's because the rest of the teams are dog. You know what I mean? Uh, it's also worth pointing out that when those divisions are competitive and those teams are good, it, it's helpful for the Colts to be in a competitive division because it improves your quality of wins, right? And the quality of wins is as important as quantity of wins. Uh, you got to be able to win your division, and you can't be uh, eaten by your own, right? You you have to be a clear division winner. And that was what the Colts ran into last year. I, if I remember correctly, they had to like win out to to win to go to the playoffs. And not and didn't win their division. You know, remember this year the Colts are second in yeah. the AFC, looking at a home uh, playoff game, which is what we were, what Frank Reich said when he was hired, right? I want to play at home in the playoffs because you should just win that football game, and then you only got to win one game to go to the Super Bowl. Hey man, your whole life's a 50-50. I'd rather win that game at home and then have to go on the road on a high and get one, right? Um, so yeah, super super excited. Um, again, one of the be- the beauty of getting to sit here and talk to Stephen Reed about this is, hey man, we've been saying this the whole time. J- I get it. Yeah, from Andrew, day one. Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck is no moss. But you know what? Jacoby Brissett 
in a lot of categories is top 10. And there's some things I wanted to point out uh, to you, uh, Mr. Reed. If you look at Andrew Luck's career QBR, Jacoby Brissett's is higher. If you look at uh, touchdown interception ratio, uh, Jacoby's is better. Um, a lot of people have said uh, games, uh, the Colts would be a higher scoring offense with Andrew Luck. And I say volatility is not a winning formula. And consistency and reliability are what this team is based on now. And be be ready as like a Colts fan for what's about to happen. Because two weeks Here ago... Here are some things. Here's, yeah, yeah. What, here's something I want to say is both of these things can be true. Jacoby Brissett can be a good quarterback mm-hmm. and can be a top 10, top 15 quarterback yes, he is. on this team. And Andrew Luck can be a better quarterback or is a better quarterback than Jacoby Brissett. Absolutely. Both of those things can be true. So yeah. when Jared and I talk about these things, yeah, they're, they're mutually exclusive situations. Yeah, so when Jared and I talk about these equal. things, um, is we are not bashing Jacoby Brissett, nor are we bashing Andrew Luck. We're not trying mm-hmm. to say one is better than the other. Uh, well, no, I, I actually am saying that. Andrew Luck is better than Jacoby Brissett. Yeah. We're saying that just because Andrew Luck is better than Jacoby Brissett does not mean Jacoby Brissett is bad. Yeah. Jacoby Brissett is very good. All the numbers show that. You know, the fact that he's in an offense that puts him in the right situation to, to succeed is huge. Like Tom Brady statistics, like if you look at his measurables and what he can do in terms of accuracy, all these other things, mm-hmm. like he's probably not like a top five, just top five, top 10 quarterback in history based on that. Like no, uh, him as a quarterback. In fact, uh, somebody was talking to me this week about like how great Tom Brady was. And I, again, before I tell someone how I feel, I'm just going to go look it up. Tom, Tom Brady, Brady is on a decline. In the last four oh, seasons, yeah. his overall quarterback rating uh, has gone down every year. Um, so when people talk about, like, GOAT status, uh, the reason that Tom Brady is considered one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time is because of the teams that he's been Bill on Belichick. have won. And it's really Bill Belichick and the scheme that he's in. Um and again, I'm not like, bashing. He's been I'm not in the same Tom offense Brady. for 20 years. I'm not bashing Tom Brady. I'm just saying that um, the emperor wears shiny clothes, right? Like he's he's all dressed up, and he and he looks like yeah, he's the goat. But look at the raw numbers, man. And he's great. He is one one of the best to put on the uniform. Uh, but in I terms will say of this, Tom Brady position, is the best system quarterback in the history of football. And I have no problem saying that, that he's the best <laughs> system quarterback yep. in, in the history of football. But if you're telling me, like, pure talent, yeah, like, give me Marino, give me Elway, give me Peyton, give me Favre, Rodgers, give me, you know, at this point, Russell Wilson. Yeah. And, and, and Andrew Luck. Like, all those are... are like, if you break it down just to pure ability as a quarterback, those guys are all better. But yeah. Tom Brady is brilliant in that system. Right. 
He's like said, he's never won a Super Bowl. We've talked about this before. He's never won a Super Bowl without like a top ten defense. His first two Super Bowls, I think his his first Super Bowl, his offense averaged something like nine points a game. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sure. Tell me, Super QB wins, Super Bowl wins. Yeah, tell me why. Things, tell me why he gets all great. the credit for that. Like his his purpose is to not make a mistake, and to a point that was Andrew Luck's purpose to start the year last year was don't make a mistake. And sadly, Luck made a lot of mistakes. Jacoby Brissett this year, his purpose, don't make a mistake. While they they start to get him um, acclimated into the, yeah, I don't know why that word didn't come out. Um, But but try to get him acclimated to the game. And Jacoby Brissett has done that. He has not made mistakes. You know, everybody likes to point out, oh, 14 touchdowns, three interceptions, interception ratio means Brissett's a better quarterback. No, that does not mean he's a better quarterback means he takes less risks and he's still very accurate those are what that's what that means and it's not a whole lot beyond that right um andrew luck we all knew was a huge risk taker um because he had the talent to you know we 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 tell you about how the computer screen that that's the size of the window andrew luck thought the size of his window was a mailbox like the opening of a mailbox and for the most part Andrew Luck was right a lot of times. Like, he could hit that ball inside of a mailbox. Yep. And that's what made Andrew Luck great was when he was in a rhythm, there's nothing uh, you could do. He was unstoppable. Like, that there's they, no defense for it. And the funny thing is, I've been saying this about Jacoby thus far. When he has to have it, he plays a lot like Andrew Luck. But the other three like quarters of the game. 35 yards of T.Y. Yeah. The other three quarters of the football game, he's just trying to be risk averse and keep the, you know, keep the chains moving, run the offense fluidly, right? Like you can hear it. It sounds like a sing song in my head because that's what the Colts offense is, is just be consistent, right? Like don't, don't be, uh, don't take a lot of risks because you make it difficult on like a young defense, right? You, you put that defense in bad field position. Although I will say, now that I've let those words escape my mouth, how good has the Colts defense been in the red zone in the last few weeks? Like you this cannot we've said score from the beginning, a touchdown though. on them. Like one, t- I think one like touchdown that's... in like 20 drives or something like that. Uh, and 16 got inside the, inside the 20 and one tutter given up. Like that's, like that's the Colts defense number. is what, once they got Darius Leonard back, like that, like, people don't understand how much of a difference he makes to this defense, or hopefully they do now because his length and his speed and his ability to close off a lane um, before the quarterback has an opportunity to do it or fill a hole before the running back can get there, his ability, like, and to be able to put Leonard back to his, his normal weak side linebacker spot or his will linebacker spot, and then have, Anthony Walker back at his more natural inside linebacker, that middle linebacker spot is huge because Anthony Walker is playing back. It seems like he's playing back down to weight. Like he did his uh, junior year at Northwestern where he was uh, like a first team, all big 10 at the middle linebacker spot ahead of like Darren Lee. I think even though Darren Lee ended up moving to safety in the NFL um, or no, Darren Lee was still still a linebacker. But Darren Lee got t- drafted in the first round that year, and Anthony Walker went back to school. 
they asked him to beef up to play the four three middle inside linebacker. Mm-hmm. So he did, and he played worse. Right. And then they drafted him here because they saw how well he played in that other system. Right. And sure enough, once he lost weight, and this is what this is literally what I had been saying. Once they got him drafted, once they switched over to this system with Eberflus, I said I expect Anthony Walker to have a resurgence in this defense because if he plays light and he plays fast, he's a completely different player than what he was in Pagano's system. Mm-hmm. And that's just a fact because he's just a better, faster player when he's lighter. Yeah. And that's what he's showing here. And like, yeah, this defense is so good in the, in the red zone and they're so long. So they're able to bat balls and they're, they're so they, it's just, it's a lot of fun to watch. And now it sucks to see him give up a lot of yards because you'd much rather see him like get a bunch of turnovers and score touchdowns um, on defense um, because that would be fun to get an interception return for a touchdown and see them all pose and all that. But um, the fact that they just don't give up, they don't give up touchdowns. Right. And that, and that's uh, one of the things I was going to point out though, that I've really started to watch um, defensively. Uh, you can run up the middle against the Colts. You can run it, uh, and that's primarily because I could be wrong about this, because I think we've talked about that before. The Colts didn't, and I, and you could just correct me immediately. The Colts did not employ a true zero tech defense, like a head up on the center defensive tackle. They, they don't usually. They don't do that, and so teams, what they do is they can run the ISO the inside handoff and what that's what you saw Sunday, right? Yeah, I'm right. So you saw Freeman and Lindsay run it right up the middle several times for like more than five yards. But when anytime they try to go outside with the running backs, the thing I love to see is 50 and 53, literally like bullets just smacking into the guy trying to get outside and running him out of bounds. And then all three of them, 50, 53, that's Walker and Leonard, and that running back are all giggling at each other, right? Like, haha, we like both of us almost hurt you. Like, we're that, they're that fast. And those are linebackers chasing running backs for losses, right? And there's, there's going to be highlight films on Darius Leonard, but one of the things that Darius Leonard is getting to do in this defense is read and react without being touched. So, what you'll see is a, a play starts and Leonard's eyes are in the backfield and you see like, Oh, the handoff, they're running right. And you just see his eyes look left. The lane's clear. And he just takes this perfect angle and just crushes somebody. And it's like a loss of two and a half yards. And then he just kind of trots back to the defense. And you're like, Oh, that that's why Darius Leonard is incredible because when he gets to read and react and he's not actively being blocked. Right. And that's one of the things that we've said in past podcasts is the problem that the Colts defenses are going to have or when teams are able to say, Hey, we got to get a hat on 53 because if you don't, he can make that play. Uh, if we try to cut it in, cut it outside anytime Leonard's faster and longer and more athletic. And if he gets the read and he gets to break on that 50s right behind him. Uh, and if, in, you know, if, if, if you just clip Leonard and that means 50 gets in there and makes the tackle, it's the same, it's the same outcome. Um, I think it makes the Colts really dynamic, although I would like to see, again, uh, better uh, defensive play against the ISO. Because, um, like I said, I, I think I can say with full confidence 
the the problem the Colts are going to have on a repeated basis is an inability to stop the opposing number one wide receiver from getting theirs. Um, and we've said that, right? Like DeAndre Hopkins got Without, his. If if Pierre Desir is is inactive or right. or is dinged up for the rest of the season, right? Because sometimes those ankle injuries they don't linger. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they they linger, and sometimes the 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 hamstring, the soft tissue injuries linger. Um, so if, if anybody gets dinged up and Pierre Desir goes down, you could see the the wide receiver ones are going to probably get theirs. And so you have to try to limit the other options um, if if Desir is is injured any, for any significant amount of time. Absolutely, and that's and that's one of the exciting things about this game. And I I'm, I guess we should get clarification on that. No significant injuries from the Colts. I, I'm I was trying to think did anybody go down. Yeah, Autry that's what I thought did, earlier. did go I said, down, I but I think he earlier. came back in, right? He came back. Yeah, yeah, he came back because I thought he was injured for a little bit, and then uh, I saw him back in the game a little bit later, and I was like, oh, great. So that means he wasn't too terribly injured. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so I, I don't think I, – I didn't see anybody – Kyrie Willis um, got his foot stepped on. Yep. And Frank Wright gave the update yesterday that um, they he's progressing well. Yep. So hopefully he won't be out long term. Yeah, and um, then I did see the uh, depth chart for this week uh, had Deion Kane uh, and uh, Pierre Desir uh, moving back or back to their original positions. So I, of course, expect that the Colts, I said it last week, this is the healthiest the Colts have been. And then, of course, they healthy scratch Quincy Wilson and Pierre Desir, the number one corner. That's not a good look. Uh, but now they travel to Pittsburgh uh, and I actually think that like this week could be the week where hey the Colts are really healthy and five and two is nothing to um, to chuff at. Uh, it's it's I mean it's a real possibility the Colts could win you know five out of the next six games and they're their ten wins to control their division uh, and just got to get a couple of the remainder um, to be able to be able to take a, a number two seed. Cause like we've said, Pat, like we said last week, and for the record, we were right last week. So when we're right, we're going to, we're going to toot our horn. Stephen Reed and I, I both said last will. week, yeah, we said the bills are not who horn. you think they are. And the bills lost to the Eagles. <laughs> we, we were right. We, we got crushed by the yeah, Eagles. Cause they too. got a, we they got a week straight wait to, to crown the bills until they play somebody. I don't think they're going to do well against the Eagles. Let's see. And for the record, we wanted to say similarly about the Patriots, but then we had also talked about how, well, the weakness of the Cleveland Browns is their coaching. Um, but there was a fragment, like just a moment of time, where the Browns looked like they could actually hang with the Patriots. And I get, I get it. Dude, it was, it was a moment. Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb fumbled away two yeah. straight, like two straight drives. He had a, he had like a sixty-something yard run and fumbled it away on the four-yard line. Yeah, yeah. So I'm saying, and, and there, like there the tough a... part is playing in New England. Like what what was really tough for for Cleveland is that game in New England was such a mess. Yeah, like it was not real... in terms of of co- the coaching was a mess anyway, oh, the but weather. the field and the weather. It was a rainstorm. Yeah. So like they were already like just in the elements. I really do kind of think that the Bill Belichick has some like voodoo magic. Or something. It doesn't would does not surprise me at all. He has a boat, man. It just all of a sudden, every time they need some like really bad weather to come through, it comes through for him. Maybe that's just New England. 
yeah, right? Like yeah, maybe that's just, maybe that's yeah, just Massachusetts and the East Coast yeah. in general. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah but he has fair. like he has a switch in his office where he's like, oh, their skill players are their strengths. Turn on the typhoon, like. Yeah, typhoon, <laughs> snowstorm. Yeah. Oh. oh, you mean we don't we don't offense? have a we don't have a a fast defense like they do? All right, let's bring the weather. Let's. My favorite is when they actually let go and in, in, intentionally let the grass grow higher, because it does slow you down to run in higher grass. Right. And they will do that, and that's one of my favorite things in the playoffs is when they just let the grass grow higher. Oh, and they're like seriously, like said, you guys it, are jerks. <laughs> it's, it's, it, again, it's you know they, they always say like uh, you know you play the game on the field and the game game's not played on paper. That's why we play on Sunday. You know it's why any given Sunday is one of the greatest football films of all time. Um, but yeah, it's kind of funny like the games the, the game within the game, right? Uh, and so that that will kind of wrap us up, brother. We're over an hour and a half. This has been our longest podcast, but again, we want to say hey, last week was uh the most our podcast has ever been listened to and we just want to say thank you to all the people that uh are taking time out of their lives thank you to everybody we really appreciate the listeners for listening to us uh we'd ask that if you love us share us if you like us follow us that's pod pancake uh we call ourselves afternoon pancakes because how awesome is quentin nelson and baldy's breakdowns shows you just about every week that he's just a monster uh in the middle and then uh, you can also follow uh, Stephen Reed on Twitter. Uh, nice Reed, R E E D, Steve, S T E V E, and myself, likely Alien, uh, to get our hot takes uh, on football. In the meantime, if you can't get enough of our podcast. Um, All right. So, my score prediction, like I mm-hmm. said, 24 17 for me, Colts. Yeah, and I'll take the Colts something like twenty-one twenty, maybe one of them. One of them games, man. Uh, I have a feeling if if the Steelers can push the Ravens to OT, and I think the Colts and Ravens are division winners, then I expect the Steelers will push the Colts to a similar, like just a tight um, finish. I just think the Colts are better uh, as far as offensive efficiency. Uh, they're really good on third down and really good on fourth down, obviously. Hey, I, hey, Colts are best in the league on fourth down, which is not a statistic I think I'd be talking about. But here we are, uh, seven for eight on fourth down. And I just think that's the difference in a football game is being able to get a first down when you got to have one, potentially to extend a drive and just eat clock when you're ahead. Uh, and those kind of things uh, tend to factor into the outcome. Uh, so, yeah, this has been Afternoon Pancakes, uh, episode 18. Have a good rest of your week. We'll see you after next week's game. Go Colts.